0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Privacy Tech Talk, the podcast where we talk about everything privacy tech. I'm your co-host, Fahad Diwan. And I am Carlos Talico. Today, we have a very exciting guest on our show. He's a professor at the University of Ottawa, where he's also the chair of Medical AI. He has his own synthetic data company called Replica Analytics. Professor Khaled El-Imam, thank you so much for being on our show.
1: Thank you for inviting me. Really appreciate
2: it. Alec, thank you, thank you so much for coming today. And uh, to start with the conversation, it would be great if you can let us know a little bit more about yourself. Is it possible to share your background? What is it that you have done to come to where you are right now?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so um, my, uh, my training is as an uh, uh, electrical engineer, uh, but I moved very quickly to, uh, to computer science and um, I spent the first part of my career in software engineering software development um, mostly in academia and doing research and then uh, I moved from there to the healthcare sector so applying the skills I developed in uh, in software engineering which was mostly data analysis and uh, you know working with quality control and software measurement, et cetera, applying that to health, uh, health data. So I've been in the health data space for almost two decades now, very quickly uh, moved to privacy because that seemed to be a very large problem in the healthcare space. Um, and I've been in the pri- healthcare privacy space since then, mostly developing technology.
2: Now, let me let me ask you, That's that's very impressive, specifically about Replica Analytics. What was the inspiration to go for the creation of this company? So, I've been in
1: the uh, privacy enhancing technology space for, for the last 17 years or so. Uh, started a company there. We built some anonymization tools and we're applying uh, data anonymization techniques to enable the sharing of health data uh, across the world. So, there were a lot of learnings from that experience around the cost of anonymization, the acceptance of anonymization by regulators, the skill sets that were required by uh, analysts to perform effective and meaningful anonymization. And um, I realized that uh, synthetic data enabled us to take this one step further and automate more of the process, uh, develop a technology that doesn't require as much uh, skills to, uh, to produce effective results, and that, are, that is more likely to be accepted by, by regulators globally just because the data coming from synthetic data, uh, synthetic data generation demonstrated that the privacy risks were low. Um, so that's when I moved to, to uh, say the next increment or the next uh, technology of the ladder for creating uh,
0: non-identifiable data enabling the, the sharing of, uh, of health data. And just to back up for our listeners, what exactly is synthetic data? and how does it differ from anonymized data or pseudonymized data?
1: So um, synthetic data uh, can be described as fake data. Uh, um, I don't don't like the term fake data, but it's just an easy way to to describe it that everybody understands. Um, So we start off with a real data set and we build a machine learning model that learns the patterns and the statistical properties of that real data. And then we generate new data from that model. So you've seen uh, uh, this type of data before in the form of deep fakes, you know, these fake images of people that look very realistic. And the technology to create these deep fakes has improved so much that, uh, you know there was a recent study published that um, showed that uh, you know, members of the public cannot tell the difference between real images and fake images anymore. And uh, funnily enough, they trust the fake images more than the real images. So, so fake hmm. people are deemed to be more trustworthy than real people, which is, which is quite um, impressive about, with respect to the technology and quite scary. Um, but the same technology is used to create uh, data as well, right? You model the data and then you generate synthetic data that retains the patterns and the characteristics of the original data set, but it's not real data. So you can't map the synthetic records to real people Uh, anymore. I mean, it's not a panacea. It's not like zero risk, but there's a a significant reduction in in, uh, privacy risks with synthetic data.
0: Great. Thank you, Khaled. That sounds very promising to me and I'm sure many other privacy professionals too, because if synthetic data works as you're describing it, it could allow us to avoid having to comply with many different privacy legislations out there because we could argue that it's not synthetic data is no longer personal information, right? In many privacy legislation, personal information is information that can directly or indirectly identify an individual. So with that lens, why isn't synthetic data a panacea? You know, why aren't we all saying, let's just start using synthetic data only and then none of us have to spend thousands or even millions of dollars creating a privacy program and having to comply with privacy legislation because with the synthetic data the risk to an individual's privacy is negligible
1: well i mean there's some parts of your business that require person identifying information right when you're interacting with customers you need to know who they are and so on so uh the part of the business that um can use non-identifiable data is typically analytics, right? Model building, uh, you know, if you want to build a model to predict who's, who's likely uh, to, to buy the next product, uh, or you want to predict who is likely to have a particular disease, then you you use, uh, yeah, you convert the data to an non-identifiable form and build those, build those models. Um, so for that part of the business, which is becoming very important, I mean, people talk about data-driven businesses and so on, that's, what we're talking about here, building models to, to help with these data-driven businesses. Um, the um, I don't like to talk about zero risk. There's always some risk. And I think anyone who talks about zero risk is, is overselling, uh, is exaggerating. There's always risk. Um, the question is, uh, what is the acceptable risk? We always take risk every day of our lives in our businesses and so on. So what is acceptable risk? So you can claim that, um, the, the data is non identifiable and all these additional obligations can be reduced. Uh, you know uh, additional obligations in, in, in privacy regulations can be reduced. There are precedents. Um, you know, we haven't started doing this uh, yesterday. We've been doing this for many decades. National statistical agencies have been sharing data, census data, sharing it publicly for many years. So we have many strong precedents and a lot of knowledge about what's deemed to be acceptable risks. So we can use those precedents to help inform, the, the risk levels that are deemed to be uh, reasonable or, and societally acceptable for for synthetic data as well. So this is why I'm saying it's not a panacea in the sense that there's always residual risk. There's residual risk with any technology. You just have to be, you, you need to have the right tools to manage that residual risk and to estimate it uh, as accurately as possible uh, using, you know, models or estimators that make reasonable assumptions. And when you have all of these things, then you, you, kind of, you have a, a a proper and a defensible risk management program. And so that's what we're, we're talking about. Um, with synthetic data generation as a, as a privacy enhancing technology by itself, that is sufficient in most cases to give you non-identifiable data and to allow you to, to build um, these, these uh, models and perform the secondary analysis um, with, with minimal obligations.
0: So you said minimal obligations as opposed to no obligations. So what obligations would remain?
1: Well, one uh, would be uh, transparency obligations. I mean, I think it's become clear that uh, even organizations, even when they're using uh, uh, data, synthetic data, for example, or not identifiable data in general for secondary purposes, they, they should be transparent with their customers or their patients about how that data is being used. Uh, otherwise, things can can uh, can backfire um, further down the line. So, so transparency is important. And of course, every business has to define what transparency means for them. And the other one is some form of, of uh, ethics oversight to ensure that the data is used in, in, a, in an ethical manner, that the models built uh, are used for uh, decisions that are not surprising, that are not creepy, um, that are not discriminatory to, to their customers or patients uh, that uh, the, the, the models that are built are, uh, are are used in a manner that uh, is consistent with the expectations uh, of the customers. the decision made, decisions made are consistent with the expectations of their customers and patients. So this ethical component there, it doesn't have to do with identifiability or synthetic data. it has to do with using data and building models in general. Um, and so that goes beyond existing uh, many existing privacy laws in that um, even if it's not uh, strictly stipulated just from a good practice perspective, one can argue that um, some kind of ethics oversight on the uses of data and decisions made from models um, is is uh, important to have in place. So these are the kinds of obligations, I mean, are, are needed even with synthetic data or any kind of a non-identifiable data set when, when used for secondary
0: purposes. Very insightful points, Khaled. And I agree that companies using synthetic data still have to let the people know whose personal information is being used to cre- create synthetic data that this is happening and companies still have the obligation to ensure that the uses of their synthetic data do not result in a discriminatory outcome to any individual so to switch gears a little bit you know one question that people often ask with respect to synthetic data is Well, how do I know if the synthetic data is as valuable as the original data set, right? Like, how do I know it will provide me with the same outcomes, results, decisions, insights, so on and so forth? So how would you know? How do you respond to those questions?
1: Yeah, I mean, the data utility can be defined in in a number of different ways. So the traditional way to look at data utility, again from an analytics perspective, is that the uh, the analysis results from synthetic data is similar to the analysis results from real data. I think the technology has improved quite a bit over the last few years, um, and the uh, um, for many types of analyses, you'll get uh, similar results and you'll get the same conclusions. And the evidence is accumulating to that effect. Um, it's not a free lunch in the sense that uh, there is some probability that you will not get um, you, you'll not draw the same conclusions. Um, but uh, but the accumulating evidence shows that uh, most of the time you will you'll draw the same conclusions and the results are are very similar. We're also starting to get a good understanding of what types of analyses are more challenging compared to, to others. Um, So, uh, so, um, and and like I said, the the techniques are improving over time uh, for more, more and more complex um, analyses. So I think when you talk about, uh, you know, utility in in this regard, um, it's not static, it's, it's not uh, something that is uh, uh, a statement you can make at a point in time and it's valid until you know, forever. It keeps changing, there's, there's a lot of investment in improving synthetic data generation methods and also analysis methods using synthetic data. Um, the other thing I will mention, which is really important, is, um, you know, in, in many cases, um, th- there are some powerful analysis tools for synthetic data, and I don't think the community is using those tools yet. Um, and I think once, once people uh, uh, start doing that, Uh, the the utility uh, results would improve. And this is what we're doing and this is what we're recommending to our customers as well.
0: So for our listeners out there who are privacy officers or privacy professionals in companies trying to comply with privacy legislation and they're encountering different problems and have to do different tasks, what's the best use case for them to use synthetic data? So when should they be having that aha moment to themselves saying, you know what, for this problem that I have in my privacy program, I should use synthetic data as a solution.
1: Well, for, for privacy officers, I mean, I, I, um, I have two threads to the answer. Uh, one is just the pure privacy use cases and any data sharing, secondary users or disclosure of data be, is is a, is a good use case for synthetic data. So uh you know sharing data with external partners or reusing data uh that you've already collected for different purposes than the original purposes that you you consented uh for um and uh for you know for training purposes for demos for software testing um for um, all kinds of analytics uh, use cases these are all secondary use uh uh use cases we're also seeing um uh, companies using synthetic data for hackathons, for challenges to evaluate vendors. Um, you know, when you have a, a a vendor that you want to evaluate, uh, and certainly in the healthcare sector, the process of giving them a data set so they can actually show their their wares, uh, working on your on your data could be a nine or month or one year exercise. Like at at, at that point, you know, uh, uh, just things have evolved so much. You 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 may have moved in a different direction. So. Uh, Whereas with synthetic data, you can turn this around in a day or two. So there's significant uh, accelerations that can happen there. So all of these are data sharing uh, uh, use cases. The other one, which is a set of use cases, which are very interesting. And I think they're interesting for privacy officers because they can use those arguments to demonstrate the value of the technology more broadly to the business, uh, which will help bring this type of technology into the company. And that is data amplification and data augmentation. So in many cases you don't have enough data for AI and machine learning, the data sets are small, and uh, or if you're in, in, the, in the clinical research kind of farm pharmaceutical industry context, you've conducted studies that are small, you don't have enough patients, so you can use synthetic data generation to uh, amplify your data sets. Um, and this is very powerful from a business perspective in the sense that uh, it can reduce recruitment for studies or, or it can allow you to use more sophisticated and more powerful AI and machine learning techniques. Uh, which require a lot of data. Um, So by coupling that with the privacy use case, you have a uh, um, a strong story to tell the business that this type of technology is something that they should be bringing in because it helps solve multiple problems, uh, reduce the risk on the privacy side, but also can accelerate and enable um, uh, revenue
2: generating or or important business objectives uh, at the same time. We, we went to our Replica's website, we went to your profile, and it was clear for us to see that the company and yourself have a very strong experience on the healthcare sector. But we would like to understand a little bit more what type of clients you work with. Is it only the healthcare sector, or are you envisioning other sectors to work with?
1: Uh, for, for structured data, um, the three verticals that are using synthetic data the most are, are healthcare Uh, financial services, and we're starting to see it more now in in retail as well. Um, So our focus is is, um, those three, uh, but largely in healthcare. I mean, most of our clients are in the healthcare space and uh, healthcare is broad um, in the sense you have the pharmaceutical industry and medical device industry. So those are organizations that are developing new drugs and new devices and new treatments. and uh, and then you have the, uh, the, the, let's call them the data providers, the data sources. So these are companies that collect um, large amounts of health data, so they're health IT companies, they're insurance companies, they're uh, academic medical centers uh, where they want to use that data, they want to share that data um, and so they're another class of organizations that the, that we work with for financial services. I mean, it's really any company that processes financial data. They they all have data modeling and secondary use uh, scenarios, uh, second uses and disclosure uh, scenarios. So so um, they they're also um, uh, they have use cases where synthetic data can be very valuable as
2: well. Yeah, absolutely. And as you were describing how these can be used for analytics purposes, I started thinking about testing software that was newly developed that requires large volumes of data to be tested for the financial sector, for loyalty management systems in the retail sector as well. So that makes absolute sense. And, and, and what are the challenges you are facing in the market or in product development in general? What are the main challenges the organization is facing now? Um, I mean, I wouldn't call them challenges per se.
1: They're just part of the process uh, of introducing a new technology to, uh, to market. Um, so, you know, one of the things that is important is getting regulatory acceptance of synthetic data and regulatory uh, it really has, has two components. One is privacy regulators and the other one is health regulators. Um, you know, health, healthcare is a regulated industry and so the health regulators are, are an important uh, part of the, the ecosystem. Uh, and, you know, my initial, uh, um, I mean, let's, let's kind of put things in context. Um, there's, there's a, a, a backlash among regulators uh, against uh, traditional methods for creating an unidentifiable data. Um, and, you know, it's not uniform, but, but the experiences of the last decade, uh, you know, with some bad actors have created this negative narrative around traditional anonymization methods. I don't think it's fair, but it is what it is. I'm not going to argue the point. Um, so there's this skepticism and negative narrative around, around traditional anonymization methods And we need to um, make the case that uh, new technologies address many of these problems, and synthetic data is one of those new technologies, and convince regulators that we can make progress from where we are today. And new tools can be a a powerful component of enabling responsible uh, uses of data for secondary purposes. So that's part of the uh, uh, the process that we're going through, and you know, it's <clears throat> starting to make progress. Uh, we're seeing regulators increasingly accepting synthetic data as a reasonable approach for, for uh, sharing information. <clears throat> and then for health regulators, um, we we need to make the case to them that analyses performed using synthetic data produce valid results, so that when um, uh, you know organizations draw conclusions with synthetic data, uh, they can be trusted.
2: Uh, let me let me ask you something. Now that you talk about these these recent changes that have been impacting your your company, what's the future you see for the organization, and what's the future you see for the technology, particularly?
1: So we're very focused on structured data. Um, so, so you know there, there are other synthesis techniques for images, etc. So so future we're still focused in in our kind of niche, which is which is structured data. Um, I think that we have good solutions for privacy, and really it's it's uh, uh, Building out the the software, uh, you know, adding the usual enterprise software capabilities as you would expect over time. Um, in terms of uh, uh, capabilities, as I mentioned, the data amplification, data augmentation capabilities are very important. Um, I think they are a game changer. Uh, in in uh, certainly in in healthcare sector, being able to amplify and augment your data sets can really change the ability to do clinical uh, uh, clinical studies. And we saw that in the context of COVID. I mean, COVID was was a very good example where uh, you needed to do studies and collect data, valid data and and draw uh, 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 strong conclusions very quickly. And the ability to recruit patients for for studies was very challenging because people weren't going to hospitals anymore. Um, So so the recruitment efforts slowed down significantly, became much more challenging. So amplification, augmentation are very powerful Tools to, to enable you to solve these problems. Um, and like I said, just outside an, a pandemic scenario, um, they, they can be game changers for the conduct of, of uh, uh, studies or anything that requires data collection. So that's an important part of our evolution as well, is, is building out that capability and building the technology and, and you know, the regulatory ecosystem, uh, you know, b- bring, bring the regulatory ecosystem along uh, on this journey to better understand this, this approach uh, and, uh, and use it in practice.
0: So Khaled, to zoom out a little bit, where do you see the privacy tech industry going? So you sit at the leading edge of privacy tech and you're situated in Ottawa, uh, Canada's capital where new federal sector privacy legislation will eventually uh, come to fruition where do you think the industry is going? Where will it be in five, 10, or even 15 years?
1: I mean, if we play things forward, say five years, it's, you, know, you can't predict 10 years, like the world changes so much now. So let's say five years, even five years, I'm speculating quite a bit, but let's play along, five years. Um, I mean, I think synthetic data generation will be an important part of the data sharing ecosystem. Uh, there will be other technologies that will be important as well. Um, I mean, federated analysis will be important. There are some use cases where federated analysis is a very good solution to um, to the problem. I think uh, uh, synthetic data is is actually an interesting competitor to federated analysis. We just completed a study where we uh, pooled data from uh, uh, Canada and Austria, uh, where the Canadian data was synthesized and sent to Austria for for pooled analysis and compared that to the results of federated analysis and we got the same results. So. Um, so potentially synthetic data can be uh, another way to achieve uh, um, pooled kind of international multi-site analysis. But nevertheless, I think federal analysis will have a role to play uh, because mm-hmm. it does solve some problems. And there are, there are other uh, price analysis technologies that will also be uh, at play just because they, they solve problems that are hard to solve uh, using other techniques. Um, so I, I don't think there'll be one dominant technology per se. I think there'll be multiple tools and organizations will have to develop the uh, the heuristics and the sophistication and maturity to select the appropriate tools for the type of situations that they're in. Um, and I think regulators need to accept that different privacy-enhancing technologies will be in the marketplace um, and uh, they need to develop appropriate criteria for deciding when uh, a privacy-enhancing technology is applied appropriately. Like when is it good enough now to, to uh, uh, declare that this is not personal information anymore and therefore there's some uh, some obligations can be, can be removed. I think it's really important. And I, I mean, I don't know if this will happen, like it's an ongoing discussion, but I think it's absolutely critical to create the right incentives for the use of privacy enhancing technologies. I hope it will happen. Certainly some of the regulators I speak with understand that this is important. Um, you need to create the right incentives because uh, you want to incentivize investment and when there's uncertainty, organizations don't do anything right? Uncertainty means do nothing. So even if uncertainty gives you, gives, provides flexibility for regulators and, and other policymakers, um, the impact on the marketplace may be, may be uh, not the desired one in that um, it results in paralysis. So, so increasing certainty is important, creating the right incentives is important to enable the adoption of privacy enhancing technologies and, and multiple pets will be at play in the future. But I do think that synthetic data generation will be a key one of those because it solves a large uh, proportion of the problems that we see, privacy problems that we see around data sharing and uh, using data and disclosing data for secondary purposes.
0: So you identified a number of issues in the industry right now. One was that there's a lack of incentives. Another one was that there's uncertainty what other issues do you see in the industry right now or you foresee in the future
1: i think the the, the lack of standards and codes of practice are uh putting the brakes on um on the adoption of privacy enhancing technologies um and just you know from a canadian perspective we need to be competitive with with uh, uh, other countries and with, with, with companies and industry situated in other jurisdictions um, and so we need to solve this problem uh in a responsible way i'm not saying take shortcuts but it's important to solve this problem in a responsible way in order to remain competitive if we don't solve it apart from the competitiveness uh, uh, problem that this uh, this creates um i mean many many things that we desire in terms of you know transparency from the government so we, you know we're talking about um, open data and you uh, um, you know, make, making data sets, data from governments uh, open. And if we can define standards and codes of practice for what is deemed to be non-identifiable data, then there's always going to be a question mark around open data. And, you know, governments are not gonna share data because they'll say, well, privacy is a problem because we can't share personal information. We can't make that open. So um, the, the, other big, the other big challenge I see, uh, you know, one of my roles at the university is I, I have a chair in medical AI, so I'm really, uh, uh, interested in the success of the AI ecosystem. And, uh, um, you know, Canada has been very good at research uh, and uh, and developing innovative technologies around AI, but uh, transitioning those into practice and building businesses and companies uh, around these these, uh, scientific results has been a challenge. Um, And if we really, and so that's a big focus of the government now and and of various initiatives now, which, which is fantastic. But if we really want to do this, we need to figure out a way to share data. Um, So if you want to create medical AI companies, you need to give those companies data. Otherwise they'll get their data from somewhere else uh, and they'll move somewhere else where they can get the data. You can't build AI without data, it's so fundamental. And therefore, if we want to uh, create a a, a bigger, a scalable um, uh, AI commercial and industrial AI ecosystem, in Canada, we need to solve the the data access issue and define rules of the road, or have rules of the road to enable um, startups and companies to to access this data in in a responsible manner with with minimal friction. We're not there yet, so so that's a key issue. If we can't solve that problem,
2: then you know we pay the price. Thank you for sharing that, and I think that what is. Uh, third time for all of the ones that are in the privacy cybersecurity space right now is that we have a lot of things to do in the years to come. El Delemam, thank you so much for the time you have devoted to this conversation. It's been great having you here. How can people get in touch with you? Um, you can go to the website uh,
1: for my research lab. That's ehealthinformation.ca. Um, and you can contact me through there, or you can go to the Replica Analytics website, which is replica-analytics.com. So those are the two easiest ways to, uh, to reach me and
2: also to learn about the work that we've been doing. Thank you so much again. To all of the ones that are listening to this podcast, please let us know what else you want to talk about, what else you want to hear, the guests you want us to be inviting to the podcast. We will let you know what other surprises we have for you in the future. Meanwhile, If you want to reach me, you can feel free to do that through LinkedIn or Twitter, where you can find me as Carlos Chalico.
0: And you can get in touch with me on LinkedIn and Twitter at Fahad Diwan. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Until next time.